Hi, my name is Emeka Morello and welcome to Growth is Personal. Each week, I share insights and strategies that will equip you to accelerate your personal and professional growth and bring you conversations that will empower you to thrive in life, career and business. Welcome to today's episode. Now, before I introduce my guest for today's episode, I would like for you to do me a favor. If you listen to this podcast on Apple, please give us a rating and leave a review. I know some of you have reached out to us telling us how much these podcasts have been helpful to you and how you've enjoyed each episode. Now, I need you to do me a favor and rate this podcast and give us a review. This will help our podcast get the visibility it needs. And also, if you listen on Spotify, please be sure to follow this podcast and also share this podcast with a friend or family or your connection on today's episode we have a special guest his name is sean Kanungo. sean is a globally recognized innovation strategist he previously spent 12 years at deloitte working closely with leaders to better plan for the opportunities associated with disruptive innovation sean is a partner with queen and rook where he advises leading organizations and executives on disruptive trends his work and interviews have been featured in the global mail the Guardian, CBC, and CTV. He has been recognized as Avenues Magazine's Top 40 Under 40, and in 2021, he was named in Forbes as the best virtual keynote speaker I've ever seen. Sean's content or innovation has gathered millions of views, respectively, across LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook. His debut book, The Bold Ones, was released on December 6, 2022. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to Grow This Personal. I'm so excited, Sean, to have this conversation with you. I mean, I followed your works for the last couple of years now, two to three years since I came to Canada. And I've been someone who is very passionate about personal growth, but also taking responsibility for the outcomes of your life. Yeah. And, you know, when I was doing my research on who are those people who are actually in, in that space, who are taking ownership, who are leading the um, the, the, the new economy that we have now, and we're going to talk a lot about, about, I have a lot of questions for you, by the way. And I, and, and I found person. you, I found you and I was like, man, who is this? <laughs> who is this giving? I mean, the, the, your talks are, are different. They're, they're unique. Like you, you come from a place of, of disruption, basically, like you, you don't go traditional. So before I go into our conversations and asking questions, I want you to, Talk to us about yourself. Um, my audience yeah. probably haven't heard about you. Um, I have audience all the way from Nigeria. Um, yeah. I have from Liberia. Uh, qu- quite interesting demography. I think the last one I saw was um, this new country. I haven't heard about them in a while. I just heard about them recently. Um, was this Seychelles or something like that? Or Rhode Island yeah, or yeah, something? Yeah, Seychelles. Oh, yeah. interesting country. Right. So talk to us about who is Sean? <laughs> well, first of all, first of all, I want to say this. Um, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I, you know, you've been putting the work into this podcast. So before you learn anything about me, um, just subscribe, rate, review, follow this particular podcast wherever you are. Spotify. I listen to this on Spotify. Or if you will go on YouTube, you know, give the man a, a, a you know some love on YouTube. You're doing the dishes. You're doing something. Just like give this man some love, but he's putting in the work. Um, and listen, you, we're gonna get. I, I I don't know about you, but I'm 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 ready to go huge in Nigeria. I'm 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 ready for. For me to blow up in Nigeria, both of us, we're gonna blow blow up in Nigeria. No, um, uh, so oh, that's, that's a good one. My, my people are gonna be so glad to hear that because <laughs> I mean, I'm in Canada now. I moved, I moved in Canada, uh, to Canada six. Uh, I think that's 2015. But I still, you know, I still touch base with my people at home. I still do content that you know serves them and also, yeah, yeah. And great to hear that you know you have something cooking up. Hopefully. Um, we can get to see. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, a little bit of background myself. So I'm an innovation strategist, a disruption strategist. I help organizations with this topic of, you know, how do you go off and, and create value in new ways? How do you ultimately go off and disrupt yourself? I spent 12 years um, at a management consulting company called Deloitte. 
was working with some of the leading organizations there. And then I sort of broke off uh, about five years ago and started my own thing where I speak and advise on with companies and leaders when it comes to innovation. And I, I wrote a book that came out. It's called The Bold Ones, which is actually applying the idea of innovation disruption, applying it to the individual. Like, how do you unpack? How do you become a disruptor? Oh! <laughs> Let's go! Let's hey, look go. at look at look at look at the look at the oh highlighting. I just <clears throat> okay okay. We well, arrived at seven o'clock. Like my delivery guy was like, I was like, what? Where is this? We're gonna come here. Like he came at seven. It, I think seven fifteen p.m. yesterday. I was like, I can't wait to get in. And oh man! So mm. if you're listening to this on your on your drive, w w what just happened is uh, you make <laughs> he just he just he just pulled up the book. He just pulled up the book of the bold ones and he's highlighting it. And that's why I reacted the way that I did. So I, first of all, thank you so much. I, I can't, I, I'm a new author. It's my first debut book. And it's been overwhelming to see how many people are sharing this book, are buying this book, are, you know, talking about this book. So um, it's, it's a surreal feeling that I have never felt before. So mm. the fact that you have the book in your hands uh, means a lot because that is my brain sort of on your desk right now, right? Mm -hmm. To have my, the physical embodiment of my brain on your desk is an insane idea. So I just, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. You know what? I, when I saw the title, it spoke to me. I don't even have to go into the book. The title itself speaks for itself. So and why, why, tell me why, because I know you've been on this personal growth journey for a long time and, uh, you know, you've been trying to, you know, shake some trees and, and, and disrupt. So tell me why this, the, the, the title resonated with you. I mean, speaking of, for example, um, the, the title of this podcast is Growth is Personal. And I've always believed that when it comes to growth, um, advancing any cause or living a life that is fulfilled, it's a personal journey. As much as you have to bring people along the way by, you know, by say mentorship or by partnership and stuff, it's a personal responsibility. But it can only happen when you are bold enough to challenge the status quo, right? I mean, I've, I've had so many experiences, especially coming to Canada. I remember one time I was in an interview and uh, one of the, the, the hiring manager asked the question, say, hey, Mecca, where do you see yourself in three years? Which is a typical question you ask. And I told him that in three years, I should be in management. Otherwise, I'll be out of here. That was, I mean, he was like, okay, wait, hold, hold on. You don't, <laughs> you don't say such in interviews, right? And he said, well, let me walk you through the org chat. This is how it works. You don't, I've been here for seven years. I haven't even gotten to what you're trying to achieve right now. In three years, I said, well, that is, that is what I intend to do, right? So it takes bold, it, to disrupt anything, you have to be bold. And for me, going in there, I said, that, that's the goal. And it happened within less than three years. In two years, I was already in the management assistant, wow. but I had to leave the company mm -hmm. because um, that was not, I, was, I was done there. I had to move to somewhere else. But the book spoke to me, the, the bold one, but again, when I was thinking about what we we're going to talk about, one word kept coming to my mind, and that is indispensable. I never knew that your subtitle is, has a word in this. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> how, how is this? So for me, this is, this is a, I don't just buy books. Um, I have a, a library of books, and sometimes I do my research before I buy books. But when I saw, I haven't followed you, but when I saw this book, I mean, I had to order, I mean, I did the express because, it had to come in. I wanted it to come in before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so well, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It means a lot to me to see. I wrote a book. Yours has blown up. The first book, more than mine, you know, mine has blown up. But and my title then was "Stand Out or Get Lost." That's the title of my book. Yeah, yeah. And it's the fact that if you don't stand out, you're gonna be lost in the crowd, right? Some people yeah. say that book was the title was kind of harsh. Are you telling us to get lost? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, but that, you know, it, it's the truth. If you don't stand out, you'll be, you'll be lost in the crowd, right? So back to you, Sean, um, before I continue. Yeah, no. Well, first of all, the, you know, you talked about the idea of uh, indispensable. To me, the idea of indispensable is like, how do you create so much value that the organization or the people around you are like, we, we, we cannot get rid of this person. We, we, 
this person is creating so much value, disproportionate value than anybody else that um, they are, they're just unstoppable. They're bold. Hmm. And so that's the whole idea of in, indispensable is I, I really wanted, I didn't want a book where it was just for entrepreneurs and founders and creators. I wanted to write a book for the folks that don't want to be just founders and entrepreneurs. They, they're working within an organization. They were working within middle management. And um, I believe that in order to succeed within an organization that you have to be bold. You hmm. can't be mediocre because that's the dangerous, the most dangerous place to be. And, uh, so, so the idea of indispensable, uh, you know, means a lot to me. Awesome. Awesome. Sean, before we continue, I just want to do, um, I like to do a screenshot of, you know, this conversation and you on the screen, you know, sure. it's, it's, it's rare you have a big shot like this on the podcast. So man, I just want to capture every moment I can. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's take it. Okay. So. I want to go in. Who was Sean 12 years ago? Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, 12 years ago was a, was a difficult um, transition for me. My, my, my father passed away. I ran his accounting firm. Um, I sold it. And I was transitioning 12 years ago into, uh, you know, management consulting. And you know, understanding the idea of the strategy and innovation. That's what I really wanted to um, start doing. And so I, I made the pivot 12 years ago from accounting to, to consulting, management consulting. And, you know, I spent a decade within management consulting after that. So I, w I was really 12 years ago, I was sort of in the mindset of growth. I, I wanted to push uh, my career. I wanted to do things that I was passionate about. And I was relentless about trying to, to achieve that and to get to where I wanted to be. Awesome. Now, if you were to walk me through your career journey, um, what would you say are number one instrumental to where you are today was and who were instrumental who has been instrumental to who you are today yeah i i would say number one it was um you know i mentioned this that my my father passed away in 2008 and he was running this large accounting firm he had over 200 clients and i had to take this Literally the day after that he died, I, I had to take over his firm. I had no idea how to take over a company and, and you know, and run it. And, you know, so we successfully sold it. And, and to me, that was an awakening because before that I was, I was coasting. I was relaxing. I was playing ball hockey with my friends. I would go out and, and just do the normal things that, you know, people right out of school would do. You know, you now had money and you were you're spending it and you didn't have kids and you were, you were doing things that, you know, kids grad, new grads would do. And that really shifted my perspective of life because, you know, it's interesting, like when somebody passes away, I don't know if this happens in your culture, but in my culture, like there's a rush of people that come to your house. It's like full. There's so many people, like you don't even get to mourn because you're just like helping, you know, you're getting, you know, coffee and, and water. And then, you know, the only after two weeks do people trickle out. And then the house is empty. And at that point, it kind of, you, you kind of have this realization that, listen, everyone moves on. And it's actually, a, actually, it's actually inspiring. It, it, it's inspiring to say that, you know, at the end of the day, people don't really give a shit about you at the end of the day, even in death. I mean, they're thinking about you, but they go on, they, they go on, on their lives. And so, so it was a reminder to me to like live every day um, like it was my last. And since that day, I literally changed my life. I changed my trajectory completely. I, I, I only wanted to pursue things that I was truly passionate about doing. And so my father um, was, was definitely inspiration for me. Um, and even in death, even more of an inspiration. Um, and so I love my father. I love what he gave to my family. And um, I learned a lot uh, from that experience. And I think along the way, um, what has helped me the most is not actually, you know, the job. You know, everybody has a particular job, a career that they have. But I always found that what gave me the most value was my side hustles. You know, I was creating, uh, you know, create a film group with my friends. I was creating apps and, and had a mobile app um, company. And so all these experiences, I was able to understand how to do things on my own. To me, that was my MBA and, mm -hmm. and being able to push myself outside of work um, was a, whether it was my creative or film or, or my 
understanding of a, uh, a customer experience or user user experience or user interface design, all these ex different experiences helped me at my current job. Hmm. And so that to me was the MBA, was like doing things outside of work. And so, um, you know, uh, it just goes to show that life is just about, um, I don't know, just taking irrational decisions and stepping outside of your comfort zone and learning new skills. Awesome. I mean, that, that, that speaks clearly because for me, you know, that has been my life. Um, even right now, I walk full time, but I do this because I understand that yeah. the real essence of life is about expressing yourself to the fullest. And which means that beyond the skill that you currently have that helps you function in your job, there are other things within you. There are other gifts and talents within you that need expression. And if you don't find a way to express it, then you're not truly living. So for me, and someone asks me, how do you, how do you, how do you manage, you know, podcasts, you write, you write content, um, you're working on this, um, you know, um, program, you're doing masterclass and you're still working full time and you're still, you know, you have family. I'm like, that is, that is life. I mean, yeah. as long as you're not born out, you have to keep, and I like, I like the word you use, you say, you say, you you want to be live every day as if it was your last and i think that's really really critical really critical to to live in life to the fullest and and making an impact in our world so thank you for sharing that i wanted to ask this question around because when it comes to personal growth there are certain foundations or fundamentals that that help us you know grow and um either it's exponentially or grow at a certain pace but what are the values or the beliefs that have that have that have foundation to your personal growth um oh man it's such a such a such an interesting question i could unpack that in so many different ways um my, my belief is that um you know growth growth is really about continuing to find this idea of secrets in the book i have this chapter around secrets and secrets are simply truths that are waiting to be found uh, waiting to be discovered. And in your life, the only way of finding secrets is to explore. It's to um, step outside of your own bubble. It's to um, learn about different industries. It's to have a, a perspective of what other people are thinking or reading. And so the more what's fascinating is that the more that you explore outside of your company, your industry, of yourself, the actual more things that you find about yourself and the more that you can grow, mm. which is the paradox, because it's like the more that you discover about other things or, or explore outside of your comfort zone, the more you discover about yourself. But it's true. And so um, my whole uh, um, idea for personal growth is to just go out and discover more secrets about you, about the world, about others, and then you will find more things about yourself. More secret. <laughs> That's interesting. So what what mindset shift did you embrace that has changed your career trajectory? So I understand that, you know, mindset is really key. I, you know, a lot of times, because part of my audience are uh, immigrants as well, who are in a different country, different part of the world. And one thing that people, you know, when they come to a new country is that they begin to look at physical things that can help them. Um, move the needle or, you know, move on in their career or growth and stuff like that. They look externally, right? But oftentimes it's always a, a case of mindset that you're here in this new country. It doesn't mean that all that you've done, all your experiences is all in the trash. And then you have to all look for something or look for a certificate, which is, I mean, education is not a, is not a bad thing, but having the right mindset is very key to um, you know, to your growth. So what, what mindset shift did you have to embrace to be, begin to do the things you do right now? I mean, you're speaking on disruption, you're speaking on innovation and wall stages. What mindset should have to change um, over the years for you to be able to take on what you do right now? Yeah, I think um, it's a great question. To, to, and I, I'd like to get your perspective too on this. Um, you know, to me, it's having, I think disruption is actually a mindset. I think the idea of disruption is somebody or something, someone coming out of nowhere and changing the status quo. And having a disruption mindset is not only of you 
um, helping to change the status quo um, of the organization or industry that you are in and constantly thinking about, you know, what is new and, you know, what is um, going to um, upend this particular industry. But it actually is about disrupting yourself. So it's like, how do I ultimately get myself fired before somebody else fires me? It's the mm-hmm. idea of how do I, how do I autom- automate what I'm doing? How do I um, outsource the things that I don't like? How do I double down on the things that I'm good at? And then be able to go down the mountain again. Like, you know, we're so good at going up the mountain. We're so good at, at, at achieving what we want to achieve. But having a disruption mindset is actually about um, going down the mountain again. It's about being able to um, reinvent, reimagine, replenish, and then going up even maybe even a higher mountain. There's an old Haitian proverb that says, beyond mountain, there are mountains. It's the idea that we always think that the mountain right ahead of us, that that's the only mountain to climb. That's it. But really, there are, there are millions of mountains ahead, and they could be even bigger. And so um, a disruption mindset is not only like killing and dominating and you know doing these amazing things in your particular field, industry, practice, craft, but it's also about disrupting yourself. But I'd love to get asked you, you know, you've been interviewing some amazing folks, um, you know, over the last um, bit and asking this question too, like what has, you know, what's your mindset today or maybe even where has your mindset shifted to where it is today? I mean, when you were talking, two things came to my mind when it comes to um, disruption and the the mindset that we have to embrace. And, And one of the things I think, you know, a lot of people would not admit today is the fact that it takes humility. I think the disruption mm. comes from a place of the humility, whereby you, you, you're willing to, from this high level, come down because you have to, um, you understand that to be able to change some certain things, you have to come from your high horse and begin to learn the ropes again because you want to reveal a, a certain part of yourself. And I think that is that is where you know I always lean into that I I don't know it all. Disruption means that you have to keep the mindset of learning on, on the road yeah. and humble you know humble in the process because if you're not humble, you'll be in your own way, right? Like because I see a lot of times when people you know you try to change something and people say things like, "This is how it has always been done." When I hear that thing, one thing that comes to mind is that someone is not trying to, the ego is in the way because you feel like if you let go um, and you try to embrace what they're saying, they're going to see you as someone who maybe doesn't know it all, um, who is less competent, and they begin to shield that um, idea of this is how it's always been done and it's working, let's keep doing that doing it that way. I think I even saw something like that in your book. So for me, the mindset shift that has to happen is that you have to come down from your high horse. Like you're saying, humility is very key yeah. when it comes to this uh, disruption. Yeah, no, I, and, and in the book, I talk about the idea of, you know, status and how status plays um, a role in um, this idea of disruption. You know, status, you know, status is amazing, but status is the reason why we have, you know, so many amazing innovations, why we conquered land, why we have, um, you know, we build a better society. We want something that somebody else has. Status is great. But status is also the thing that holds us back. It's wrapped around our identity, our expertise. And by disrupting your own status um, means having that humility that you talked about. It's, it's, it's about placing the ego aside and being able to be open to new ideas, to new people, to, to new things. Um, and so you definitely have to drop your status in order to um, continue innovating. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I want to talk about vulnerability because I, I think also that's another piece to innovation, to disrupting ourselves, to becoming indispensable. Um, talk to us about what's your, what's your idea of vulnerability? And uh, oftentimes people are not comfortable with that topic. People are not comfortable to, to be vulnerable. But what is your, what is your thoughts around vulnerability and yeah. the capacity to use that um, as a as a tool to to disrupt ourselves or to even grow personally. 
Yeah, I know. Vulnerability is such a powerful world, a word. I believe that the most innovative leaders today are the most vulnerable. Um, to me, vulnerability is the ability for somebody, a leader, somebody at the highest status to say, I don't know. It's somebody to say, you know, help me. It's somebody that can say, you, um, I don't understand this. Um, you know, being a leader today, um, that's a very uncomfortable position to be. That that's about vulnerability. You know, back in the day, I think we had this this idea of what leadership is: is that you have all the ideas that there's it's a top down mentality that you have authority. Um, and um, today, I believe that the things are fundamentally changing. Things are moving so fast. Technology is on an exponential scale. The world is moving quickly, and you, you, it's impossible. It's impossible to know everything. It's impossible to understand what the best decision is going to be. Listen, I'm in the innovation space. My job is to understand um, what's happening in the innovation space. And I can tell you like 0.1% of what's happening in the innovation space because it's only, it's moving so quickly. Who am I to tell you, uh, you know, what's something that's happening this moment? We're on this podcast and some game-changing thing is happening. So as a leader today, you have to be able to allow the people around you um, to, um, and empower the people around you to, um, to run with their ideas, to hear them out. And that takes vulnerability to make it happen. Now, coming, you're coming from the place of uh, 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 a leader. Now, let's talk about someone who is now at the ground floor and how they can also tap into that vulnerability to be able to express themselves. Like, how do, how do they go about it? Um, you know, for example, you have someone, say, for example, who's on the sales floor. He is um, a, a store clerk, for example. And to be able to express vulnerability oftentimes may seem like he is not or she is not um competent how do they manage you know vulnerability such that they are not uh they're not seen as less competent and still be able to express themselves um to the fullest i i, I think we need to uh, reframe uh how we look at vulnerability especially when it comes to you know that person that's on the ground floor that's learning things um anew i think um, if we repurpose that to say curiosity, if we repurpose that to say hunger, that um, if you go to the people around you and say, hey, listen, I want to be at the best. I, like, I want to do this the best that I can. I want to learn new ways of doing things. And I want to learn from people um, around me. So I'm going to ask really dumb questions. And um, being upfront and, and saying that expectation and showing people that you are hungry and then you're curious and then you, that you want to... Um, do unbelievable things within your organization um people like people will be willing to help and um i think we just need to reframe that vulnerability into curiosity and i think that's the best way of um uh sort of navigating a career and people will be like oh look sally like is hungry she's asking all these questions and i can see that she's making those improvements i i can see that she's um, you know, asking the right questions. And I think it comes from a good place and you will find that more and more people are willing to help. Yeah. Okay. I, I stumbled on, you know, I was listening to one of your videos or watch one of your videos and you talked about innovation capital and that was very interesting to me, but I want to bring that to a, a personal level. Um, not just an organizational level. Now, how can individuals, professionals build innovation capital um because I, I know we know your human capital being able to develop human capital you know um developing your strength your talent and um your competence and skills but when it comes to innovation capital especially in the economy that we're in and which we're going to talk in you know, as we go on um how can we how can professionals develop innovation capital yeah such a great point and thanks for deep diving into these videos um i think innovation capital is a is such an important concept that many people um, don't know about. Innovation capital is your ability for others to believe in your ideas and then thereby unlocking more resources in order to make your ideas happen. To me, innovation capital is actually a muscle. And to me, I just want to make it really simple. Listen, the more that you can do hard things and the more that you put yourself in a position to do hard things, 
um, not only are you going to convince other people, your teammates, your stakeholders, the people around you that you can do hard things, but you are going to convince yourself. And what's going to happen is that you are going to be creating this muscle to go off to do even bigger and better things. And so if you want to build innovation capital, you have to start by doing things that are different, uh, that will create value in new ways, and they can be very incremental. And what you will find when you start doing that, you're like, oh, wait, I just did this. You know, what else, I, what else can I do more? And it's a simple idea of, you know, you go to the gym, no one's going to expect you to, you know, lift 800 pounds right off the get. Mm. You have to go to the gym every single day and try to create um, that muscle when it comes to um, innovation. And the more that you flex the muscle and build and try harder things and more complex things, you will convince other people and yourself that you're able to do that. And so that's just the idea of innovation capital. I think it's, um, you've seen this with the most innovative people in the world. They start with something very small and then they're able to move up the ladder and work on more complex projects and do more innovative things because of that. Hmm. When you were talking, I wanted to just, you know, you to elaborate more on this. So can innovation capital be done within an organization as an individual, for example, or do you have to be outside the organization to be able to express that, uh, to be that an innovation capital? Because for me, it looks like when you're within an organization, you know, and you're trying to innovate, maybe you have a, a, you know, kind of a vision where innovation is not necessarily embraced, right? And maybe you're trying to change things and people want things to be the way it is, right? Do you then have to begin to go outside to do some do some stuff so that you can begin to build that, you know, that capital um, outside your organization. I, I think um, ultimately when you're building innovation capital, you, you most likely you'll have to go outside of your own knowledge domain or your own, the, the own, your own expertise within your organization and see what else is happening. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a really simple example. Um, I, was working with this, I was working with this guy. He was like in the finance department. and he was an innovative person and he came to me he said hey listen I, I love what you're talking about when it comes to innovation i want to do this within within um our company hmm. and so what i helped him do is we started with a very small experiment within their finance group very small experiment using this technology that the company has never used i remember going into the boardroom and talking to his you know, his leaders around this particular technology. And they almost kicked me out of the room because they asked me who else in our industry is doing this. But, you know, later on, we were able to convince them to make this very, 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 very small experiment within their finance group. And by making a very small experiment, um, they, we were able to convince, he was able to convince his teams and, and his bosses that this was able to work. And because of that, they were able to start this small experiment in other groups. And ultimately what this, you know, what this guy was able to do was he was able to build innovation capital, right? Starting with a very small experiment, people are like, oh, this worked. And now he's now able to do more things. He's able to apply this idea, this technology to another group. And then he started to apply other technologies and he started to build more innovation capital and people trusted him even more with trying out these new and crazy ideas. And later on, he started leading a lot of their innovation initiatives. And so, it just goes to show that to build innovation capital within an organization, yes, he went outside. Yes, we spoke with each other. Yes, he took a technology with, which was outside of his industry. But at the end of the day, it was him being able to run these experiments and convince other people that he was able to do it. Um, and so that is the power of innovation capital. And I think you can do it within an organization. Hmm. Now, let's go to this, um, this other section here about um, the creator economy. And, and you have it in your book here. Um, but I want to ask, can career professionals become creators? Because there's this, you know, um, idea that, you know, it's a creator, to become a creator, you probably have to do it full time. You have to be able to, you know, have, um, be creative, know how to use these tools and stuff like that. How can career professionals leverage the creator economy? Because I think yeah. it's very important right now that you know, to, to live off to have our full self and become 
um, you know, indispensable, we have to also tap into this creator economy. So how can career professionals position themselves to tap into the creator economy or how can they um, become one? You know, I love that you're asking this question because, you know, the creator economy is something that everyone talks about. You know, you people going off and creating content on these slow social platforms and, you know, they're, they're doing something that they're passionate about. And they're always talking about people that are outside of the organization. I believe that you can tap into the creator economy within an organization. I actually recommend that every single person on the planet should create their own um, IP, their own their own stamp within an organization. So um, the, it's the idea of how do you develop and declare independence within an organization? And that is taking a particular asset to taking a particular IP and putting your likeness, your name, your personality to what um, that is. Because the best way of creating a brand uh, within an organization is to create something that is truly uniquely you, that it, that is related to your gifts. I'll give you an example. In the book, I talk about uh, Mary Meeker. She works for a very, she's not a part of the creator economy. She's, she doesn't, she works within an organization. So at Morgan Stanley, she created an asset um, called the Internet Trends Report. And so she would share this, this 200 page PowerPoint deck um, internally and externally about what was happening around the internet. And that became her calling. Uh, people started to associate her with the internet trends. She then was known as the queen of the internet. And she's still working for somebody, but she created a uniquely a unique piece of IP for herself. And she was able to um, um, carry that along, not only within um, she worked at Morgan Stanley, then she worked at Klein Perkins, and then she started her own thing called Bond Capital. And um, she was able to carry that piece of IP the entire way. So I believe that um, within an organization that you should be finding some um, piece of IP. Now, it can, it can be an asset. It could be like a PowerPoint deck. It could be a process. It could be a brand. It could be an event. It could be a newsletter. It could be whatever it could be within an organization, something that, that you can... Um, put your stamp on and that other people within the organization can see. Um, I think one of the most powerful ways of creating power today is by doing, you know, it's either through code or media. So within an organization, how do you create something that um, can, um, can scale and other people can, you know, see? I mean, as a simple example, it's a dumb example, with, but Within, um, I remember I worked for uh, a company called Singapore Press Holdings, and I used to make these um, uh, these really great PowerPoint presentations. And I made this like combination of all these PowerPoint presentations, and I sent it to somebody, and then they sent it around the entire office in Singapore um, because they want to create you know compelling PowerPoint decks that I was creating. And so it was the ability to share something that was more viral, do something that was viral. Um, uh, you know, create a product that was viral. And, um, you know, I, I started to build a name for myself for really nice, aesthetically uh, designed PowerPoint decks. Before you, what is IP? For those who don't know. Sorry, yeah. IP is intellectual property. It's, um, and, you know, it sounds very techy, intellectual property, but it's like, to me, it's really about what is that thing that you are doing within an organization that is uniquely yours. Now, at the end of the day, IP can be, you know, maybe at the end of the day, the company or organization owns that particular IP in, in a legal sense, but the company essentially can't do anything without it, without you as part of it. They can't do anything without your voice, your personality, your likeness, your ideas, your knowledge on top of that particular asset. So that, that's really what IP is. Yes. Awesome. Um, but I, I believe, you know, um, that and I've always had this belief that everyone on earth have to have an IP. I mean, you can't, like you said in your book, that the ideas, the ones who have got, the bold ones who have gone ahead of us have left us bread, you know, crumbs and ideas and um, little things for us to be able to take a clue from. And I believe that as uh, uh, the mandate we have here on earth is to ensure that, you know, when we have left, there's some IP that people can hold on to and be able to grow or make changes or um, um, make impact in the world. So I, I've, I've always a strong believer of having individual, even if you're an organization, you must ensure that something you have to, people should be here. People should know that you came here 
And I think it, as, yeah. as we begin to think about it, it helps us to begin to see, you know, ourselves as um, people who are here on an assignment and that, you know, we must, as much as you do for your job and make sure you create, even if your job, your, your, your employer, uh, you know, decides to keep those IP and all of that, but you must intentionally begin to create the things that are outside. Like, I mean, look at what you've done. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Man, I, I just, I, I want to riff on this, uh, you know, for a little bit because, you know, you, you, you talked about something really important. Um, and, you know, if we have this belief that creators are going to be the next set of founders and entrepreneurs over the next 10, 20 years, and it makes sense because they have distribution, they have attention, and they are going to be the next big, um, you know, upstart startups and incumbent companies. So if you think that creators are the future when it comes to entrepreneurship, then you have to also believe that creators are the future within organizations. The people within organizations that can be able to sell their ideas, to execute on their ideas, to garner momentum and influence and get people on their journey within an organizations. These are the next leaders within organizations. They are the creators. Mm. And so mm. outside of, uh, of organizations, inside the organizations, the creators are the most powerful entities in the world today. Mm. And I think it's, it's important that they, they embrace it. Like they have to understand that you know, because you see these people in organizations, they are the ones who bring the ideas. They are the ones who ask the questions. They are the ones who want to change something about something. And oftentimes, they they they, they tend to shy away from me, like, "Oh no, I'm not a creator," or um, "I just do my thing." But sometimes, you know, if we begin to, you know, pay attention to it, that's actually the future of the organization. And you know, like you said, leaders have to begin to identify those people, and harness whatever they're, they're sharing to to help the organization grow because it, for me it's 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 very important because I, I see a lot of people who say i have this idea i do this organization um but it's not it's not recognized and it's put on the side so i'm not going to be doing any more i'm just going to be on my own but i think it's important that they have to realize that this is this is who they are and they have to keep finding ways and sometimes it might mean that they might have to move to somewhere else but <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, this book is really about how do you, um, how, do, how are you part of the creator economy within an organization? How do you, how do you, how do you do that? And I don't think anybody on the, in the, on the planet has really written this um, and, and really framed that, you know, th this is how you go about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was involved in a project recently at work and it was something that was, you know, it's been kept in the back burner and, you know, some people have come on it and they couldn't finish it. But when they came in, you know, they said it was an email that went out and said, hey, who is willing to take on this? You know, and I said, because I, I understand that, you know, to be able to create your own IP or to be indispensable, you have to be at the forefront of, of taking this stuff that are difficult or doing the hard stuff or putting yourself out there, right? And I took it on. Now, if, you know, and I, I launched it and implemented it, and now right. it's running within the organization. But when you go back and say, how was this done? You're going to mention my name, like, because my name was on that yes. whole, whole project. So I think it's important that, you know, we begin to, to, to share more of these, that people, you, you can create within an organization. You can be a creator and be a, be a part. You don't have to be a leader or CEO or a manager. 100%. You can, even from the ground level, you know, start doing that. Love it, man. We're on the same wavelength. I love this conversation. You, you, you've actually helped me untap, um, you know, many things and, and um, articulate it in a way that I, I've never articulated before. So I, I really appreciate it. Great. Let's talk about cultural capital. I mean, yeah. um, I, I listened to one of your talks and you, you talked about this cultural capital and I for once saw it as social capital but when you come from the standpoint of cultural capital, it, 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 you know, it clicked, but I want you to talk about, you know, share a little bit about it again, because yeah. I, I think it's important um, in this new age that we're going into the attention economy. Um, talk to us about cultural capital. How can you build that, you know, yeah. um, within the organization and outside the organization? Well, you know, 
we, when we think about disruptors, we always think about the technological disruptors, the organizations that use technology as their as their moat, as their competitive advantage. Um, but what I, I believe as technology is becoming increasingly more commoditized and uh, technology is becoming disrupted by even artificial intelligence. If you see, seen, you know, the, the latest developments in like chat GPT, you know, like tech, tech is going to be inclusively more commoditized. So at the end of the day, what are the, what's going to be the next set of disruptors? Well, to me, it's the organizations, it's the individuals, it's the brands that can, that has an understanding of culture of where the world is going. So it could be around, um, uh, culture could be around the community that you build. Culture could be around creators and the people that are really on the forefront, on, on the cutting edge of you know, who people are watching and consuming. It could be around crypto, um, uh, these new sort of communities coming through crypto. It could, you know, there's so many ways of looking at culture. To me, culture is really about you know, what is relevant today. And um, the next set of disruptors are the ones that are constantly seeing where the puck is moving in terms of culture. So if I look at cultural disruptors today, I look at a company like, you know, Barstool Sports. Now, Barstool Sports, many people will, um, you know, think that it's for frat boys or, or whatnot. Yeah, I don't particularly follow um, Barstool, but they have a rabid community of people that love their content. They're unapologetic, um, led by a guy named Dave Portnoy, um, and he's unapologetic. He is the stereotypical, um, just like you know, uh, Renaissance man. Like he's he's uh, he's unequivocally just and unapologetically uh, just brash. And I think that's what the brand is all about. And because of his personality and because of the people that they've hired, they've been able to garner what I call cultural capital, which is the ability to understand what is uh, relevant today. And in some ways, they help shape that as well. Mm. Um, if I look at an organization like, um, you know, even like what Kardashians have done, which and, and Kim has done with skims, right? She's always understanding the reason why she has been relevant for the last decade is not only because of her show, but it's because of all the things that she touches. Um, she has a design aesthetic uh, uh, capability and understanding, and that's what she's been able to create game-changing products like skims and, and whatever, whatever else. Like She not only understands what people want, but she also helps shape it as well. And mm. so if you see the leading companies today, they are all like, there's a, there's a, like a power ranking of direct to consumer companies. Uh, this guy, uh, 2 PM, they, they pulled it together. And if you look at all the, the top power rankings of companies, uh, that are really the, the brands that are shaping the world today, they are cultural disruptors, like the skims of the world or Rihanna's, um, you know, Savage Fenty brand or, uh, Barstool you know, the, the, these are cultural disruptors. Mm. When you were talking, because I, I know there's always this, this um, thing within the organization where they do cultural feats. But I, I see this cultural capital as more of a cultural ad, you know, because these are people who understand the culture, but they'll, they're not afraid to add to the culture because they understand that what they, what they bring is something that is, that is unique. So rather than we focus on how we can fit into the culture, oftentimes we also have to think about how can we add to the culture? Because sometimes, you know, people tend to always want to find people who look like them. But how can you begin to look like, how can you begin to look at how else can I add to this culture? Like, what can I bring? So rather than cultural fit, we are looking at culture, cultural ad. And I think that's where we're going today, where organizations are not just looking for people who fit into their culture, but people who are going to add to the culture. Like, what, what is we going to bring, right? So. Uh, I just wanted to share that because, you know, mm. as we develop ourselves, you know, um, professionally and, uh, and personally, we must embrace who we are and how we can also add to the culture. I mean, you can see someone who comes into a, a particular organization and because of them, they started the launch and land, for example. And that's just because that has been the, 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 the way they have seen, um, you know, growth within teams. And they feel that's how they, you know, would add to the organization. So I wanted to just share that based on, you know, the culture yeah. capital piece there. I wanted to talk about something that I highlighted in your book here. I just want you to touch more a little bit about it. You said 
no longer uh, individuals attaching themselves to companies, companies attaching themselves to individuals. What do you mean? Yeah. So there's this great power shift that's happening from companies, from institutions to individuals. And I believe that the individual is becoming the most powerful entity in the world. You know, we trust people, trust people, people care for people. If you look at any poll, Gallup polls, institutional trust, trust in media, trust in institutions, trust in government is at an all time low. But if you look at um, who people are trusting today, it really comes back to individuals. So if you look at how companies um, or how people hire services or how they buy products, it's going to be increasingly shifted or it's going to increasingly shift to individuals. So if you want to work with a particular consulting company, you might look at the particular consultants and say, I want to work with these particular individuals. If you buy a particular brand, you might say, well, I, um, I have affinity towards the founder or um, I have affinity towards um, other people within that company that work there or other people that have bought that, uh, you know, that product or service. So I think that we buy from individuals, we trust individuals, and um, companies have to start understanding that their most important asset at the end of the day is individuals, because those are the people that ultimately have eyeballs and trust. So um, this is a this is a seismic shift in how we look at trust, how we look at companies and systems um, altogether. Um, and so we, over the next number of years you're going to see this play out and you're already seeing it play out. This is really the reason why the creator economy is here. It's the reason why you have, you know, crypto, this is the power to one, you know, this is the reason why, um, there are, uh, you know, media companies that are getting disrupted by individuals. Why you have things like Substacks and Patreons and, um, all these different platforms that are incentivizing individuals to go off and do their thing. So it's, it's a, it's a massive seismic shift that's happening in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important that, you know, individuals, because for me, I always try to shift, you know, conversations back to the person, um, because as much as organizations are going to be looking at leveraging the individuals within the organizations, individuals have to begin to leverage the power that they have. And I'm yes. not saying power to become a rebel, but a power to know, know what they're worth and, and make a demand on it. Right. Yeah. You know, for so many years, and I think it was because of the industrial revolution, we've treated people like cattle. We've put a, a we stamped them with a number on their back and we say, you know, go work on the line. And that era is done. It's over. And now we have to empower individuals and individuals have to understand themselves that you have more power than ever before. And because of media, because of code and um. Again, that that we're moving into a different era when it comes to work, and people have to understand that this is, um, in order to move up the ladder within an organization, in order to create a company, you have to be able to understand that you can create your own power today. You don't have to be a number. Number, great. Let's talk about the bold ones now. If someone is to unpack this book, <laughs> I know you cannot, but but what would you say? Uh, I don't want them to hear it from the author himself. What would you say is the quality that you have to develop to become one? The most yeah. important quality you have to develop to become that one? Ooh, the most important quality become the bold one. This is the first time I've gotten this question uh, for this book. Because in the book, I, I, I talk about the idea that the bold ones, you know, you can, you can be a bold one in so many different ways. But to me, if I would dial it back to one thing, I would say this, that I believe that the most dangerous person in the room is the person who's most afraid, but bold enough to move forward. Mm. It's the idea that the bold ones are not necessarily the people that are confident. They're, they're, they're walking into a situation and they know all the answers. But it's the person that's just willing to step forward, even though they are still afraid. And to me, that's the most dangerous person in the room. So um, the boldest person is the person that can step forward, even if there's a fire 
Um, and um, that's what I would say is the characteristic. You have to continue moving um, no matter what. Hmm. I like I like the way you put it because, you know, someone will look at the board when I say, oh, it's too much, too much pressure <laughs> or it's too much work. But now you're making it, you know, known to us that the bold one doesn't have to be the one who who has it all and figured out. Like, but but willing to to take the step is willing to, to I like this phrase called the education of the road, where I don't know it all, but I'm willing to go along the way um and then figure it out. And because once we begin to put that perspective, have the perspective, it takes off the pressure. Because oftentimes people just Oh, uh, I, I'm, I don't think I'm bored. I don't think I can do this. It's too many. You know, there's too much involved. But if you understand that, you know, number one, um, you are called to be the bold one. Like, I mean, in creation. I always go back to the creation. He said, uh, and this is the the the, the scriptures. You know, um, for those who are Christians, they understand that you're here to have dominion. Yeah. That's the, that's the mandate. You're here to 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 be fruitful and to do that. You you have to be the one who is willing to, uh, to look like you. I think you mentioned in your book that to be the one that that looks funny or uh, that asks the question looks that like sounds yeah. silly or something like that, right? But not being afraid um, to, to ask the question regardless, right? So it's I, I, I like I, I mean I have a lot to unpack in this book, and I, I definitely will write something about it. But before you go, I like to ask my guests three questions. Uh, we call it yep. the final three. Yes. You can answer in one word or you can expatiate on that word. The first question there is, what is one change you had to make five years ago that is still serving you today? The one change that I made was the idea of understanding that the power of waste, it's, it's, the, it's the idea of being okay with, with exploring, with, expo- with, with wasting your time, with wasting your efforts on something that many people might think as think as inefficient or many people might think as um uh you know potentially just like you're on the wrong path but when we start wasting what many people call wasting your time um i i actually call it exploring and playing and so i believe in the idea of embracing waste um and that just means just exploration that's it. That's your next book, The Power of Waste. That's a powerful title. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Great. The second question is, what is something that is critically important to your personal growth or that's crit- critically important to personal growth that most people ignore? I think most people ignore the idea of um, telling better stories, better narratives. You know, you can have a really great, you can have a really great idea. You can have a really great product. You can really be a great person um, at the end of the day. But if you can't get other people to understand it, to see it, to feel it, um, then it's dead on arrival. And so I think one of the things that we fail to understand is that um, in order to grow, we have to also be able to sell that growth or influence others to see that growth as well. Um, it's not just enough to just grow yourself. You have to be able to, to, to sell it as well, which mm-hmm. is something that might be controversial, but um, I think sometimes we're like, we get caught up with the idea that, you know, the product is just enough or that we're just enough or um, no, you're not just, an, you, you have to be able to sell yourself and you have to be able to tell stories and narratives around what you are doing, um, especially in this, you know, busy, noisy world. I often say that not all good works can speak for itself. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to be able to speak for your good works and speak it in such a way that it's, 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 it's memorable and it's impactful. And, uh, and uh, yeah, Love that. It. That's very key. The last question, and this might be personal, is <laughs> what, when, you, when you got this invite to this podcast, what was the thing that stood out for you that said, you must be here? I know you're the person who is given to, you're, you're driven by adding value. And I've observed that from you from afar. But what is one thing that drew you to accepting this, uh, to be on the show? You know, it's, it's a very simple answer. And it's you. Um, I think you are somebody that is going to win. Um, 
I want to be associated with people that are inspiring, that are pushing themselves, that are doing things that are outside of their comfort zone. And the fact that we had to rearrange this and you hustled to make it happen, the fact that you texted me for um, you know, the, the, the bio or the picture, like, um, I knew that you were a person that, you know, put a lot of love into their craft. And of course I, I listened to the podcast and, um, you know, I, I know you're someone that has put in the love around the, the intros and the, and the, and the notes and stuff like that. And, and I just love seeing people that are just passionate about what they're doing. So the short answer is, um, is you. So thank you for, um, all that you do, not only for this particular episode, but for all the episodes and, and the fact that you are providing value, um, for, for your, for your audience. It's, it's amazing. Great, great. Good, good to hear that from Sean. <laughs> Would I say it is um, not rewarding, but it's something to that I can hold on to and say, yes, this is this is making sense. And I mean, I must say, you know, Sean, I've, I've, I've observed, I'm a person who observes. People say, you like to use the word observe. And I'm like, yes, I mean, I'm a student of observation. And yeah. I think in this day and age, it's it's so it's so distracting. There's so so much going on that people are not observing, and people are waiting until they have an institution or a formal system to learn before they begin to learn. But oftentimes, if we can pay attention enough, we can even learn by just observing. And I've observed you for for a while. But I wanted to just ask this question uh, out of random: Is what is that one thing that has that has stood you out as someone who because is I, I think you're really playing in a very um, an important space in this day and age, but also on a space that would be highly criticized in terms of the, the ideas that you the bold ideas that you share. So how do you stay how do you stay um, true to your message despite sometimes the pushback that you get? I think it's just leaning into who you are. It's leaning into your authenticity and what you believe and your particular ideas. Um, to me, if you lean back into what you believe in your ideas and your experiences and what you're seeing, um, it's very difficult to um, uh, it's very difficult to challenge. But I, I actually, you should be open to the challenge too. You should be open to people. You should be open to the criticism because um, it will ultimately make you better. But I have over the years just tried to lean more into what I love and to be my true authentic self. And this book is the truest form of Sean Canungo. It is my mind. It is hip hop, it's sports, it's pop culture, it's inspiration, it's business, it's tactical ideas, it's stand-up comedy. It's, it's, it's everything that I love into this book. And this is like the most authentic version of my mind. And so um, that's why I want to create this book because it's a very different format than what I normally put out in terms of my content or my keynotes. This is it. And um, I think leaning more into what you, who you are is, is super important. Super important. Great. That's, a, that's a great way to end this, end this show. Thank you so much, Sean. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege to have you on the show. I'm, I mean, when, you, when I sent you that first message and you responded, I mean, I was, I was blown away because not just the fact that um, the humility in the response, I mean, that shows you true to who you are. And uh, I'm grateful to have you on the show today. And hopefully, you know, because um, there's a lot to unpack. I just had to just, you know, put this in one hour. There's a lot I want to ask, I want to talk about. But I hope that, you know, the next time I'm going to give Please. you a <laughs> an invitation again, that you'll be able to, you know, um, listen, you know, make a time for us. Oh, absolutely. And uh, listen, if you've gotten this far on this podcast, you know, rate, review, follow, subscribe to this man because he's putting in the work. And um, I, you should appreciate the fact that he's having all these amazing guests on, um, having in these unbelievable conversations. So follow him. And then once you finish that, then you can find me somewhere. Uh, just find me online anywhere. And, uh, but first follow him. Great, great. I mean, we're going to have, but before, I think we're going to have a show. We have a show note where I'm going to pull all, all of your online stuff, you know, your website, your LinkedIn page. Um, any program that I find that you're running is going to be on the show notes. But 
to wrap it up, how best can we, can the audience find you? Yeah, so you can find me anywhere, LinkedIn, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, um, anywhere. Um, you can go to my website, you can contact me. I am, I respond to every single human um, because anybody that has reached out and taken the time to do that, I have a lot of respect for you. Um, and um, so, yeah, you can reach out to me anytime, anywhere. Great, great. Thank you so much, Sean. Um, I'm so grateful. And um, yeah, keep doing what you do. This book is is powerful. This is going to be the first, you're going to be the first author. Yeah, let me think. Yeah, you're going to be the first author on Grow His Personal Podcast. Um, and not just the first author, the first author that have their book. Um, <laughs> it's exciting. A beautiful cover. Uh, speaks true to who you are and um yeah i can't wait to 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 finish finish this book so thank you thank you for all it. you do especially in canada um because yes. i think that you're, you're kind of rare so oh, thank I you appreciate that. i thank appreciate you. that thank you so much yeah you're welcome thank you for listening to today's episode if you love this episode share with your friends on facebook instagram or linkedin if you haven't already done so hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of our episode and give us a rating. This will help our podcast get more visibility to those who don't know about this podcast. Remember, your growth is personal. No one is responsible for your personal growth but you. Stay blessed.